You are listening to audio from Redeemer Church in Tomball, Texas. To find out more information about our church, visit us at makingmuchofjesus.org. My name is Lawson Flowers. I'm the student and family minister here at Redeemer. Pastor Jeff is on uh, vacation. And uh, thank you for being here. Uh, it's, it's truly my, uh, one of the great privileges of my life uh, to get to preach God's word to the students uh, each Wednesday night and then periodically to the, the whole church family as well. And so I, I do, uh, I, it's an honor and, and it's a privilege to open God's word um, every time that we do that. I grew up uh, in the Dallas area and I, I was a church kid. I, I grew up, you know, I uh, became a Christian very young and was always in church. Um, and I was a good church kid. You know, I was the, the one that everyone would uh, look up to. I was very good at following the rules and having a good kind of external um, you know, external and, and uh, how people saw me, uh, which means, you know, I didn't get, um, I didn't get challenged a lot or, or maybe as much even as I should have. And I, I, when I went to college, I started interning at a church and I had a mentor who was really good for me. And he was really good for me because uh, he, he wasn't impressed with me at all. Um, and because he was honest and he was in my life enough to, to call me on my junk, right? And so I remember distinctly sitting in his office one day and we were talking about school stuff and, and it just came to the point where he just looked at me and said, dude, you're lazy. You're lazy and you need to repent. Yeah, you know, cut me deep. Uh, and I wanted to, you know, you want to, no, I'm not, but, but I knew it was right. I knew it was right. And that, that hard word is what I needed at that moment. And I think in a lot of ways, the hard sayings of Jesus, this series has been that for us. Uh, it's been the hard sayings, but, but we need them. Uh, I saw uh, Scott Saul say that if you want to know where God wants to teach, what the lessons God wants to teach you, look at the parts of your Bibles that aren't underlined, right? The parts that we go, oh, I don't know about that. That's the part we need to press into. And that's what we're doing in the hard sayings. So I pray that um, though this is hard, that it will be good for us. And we know that God's word always is. Good for us. So you can turn in your Bibles uh, to Matthew 25, we'll be in verse 31 uh, through 46 this morning. Before we read it, uh, I, I just wanted to give, give you a little bit of context uh, to tell you where we are in the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, this is the climax of Jesus' sermon on the uh, the end times, the last days, uh, chapters 24 and 25, Jesus is, telling, is preaching a sermon, basically is teaching on the, the end of the world and judgment day. And we'll see that's what this passage is about. Uh, he's just given three parables uh, to, to his disciples and to the crowd. Uh, and, and the three parables have basically been to the effect of be ready. You don't know when, when uh, I'm coming back. You don't know when the final day will be. So are you going to be vigilant? Are you going to be watching? Are you going to be prepared? Are you going to be doing the work of God? What am I going to find you doing when I return? Uh, but I want to point out that this last section, this, the climax of this sermon is not a parable. Right? Some people call it the parable of the sheep and the goats because it has sheep and goats. That's the only metaphorical part and it's clearly talking about real people. So this is not a parable, it's a prediction. This is prophecy. Jesus is telling us what will be and how it will be on the judgment day when he returns. Let's read it together. Um, if you're able, as we always do, please stand in honor of reading God's word and we'll read 31 through 46. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him 
and he will separate them one from another, just as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him. Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? or Thirsty and give you something to drink? When did, did we see you a stranger and take you in or without clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them. Truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. Then he will say, also say to those on the left, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, you didn't take me. And I was naked, you didn't clothe me. Sick and in prison and you didn't take care of me. Then they too will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or without clothes or sick or in prison and not help you? Then he will answer them, I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. And they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Pray with me. Father, we need your grace now. Please open your word to us. Please speak to us. No one wants to hear from me, Lord, and we all want to hear from you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You can be seated. This is a dangerous passage to teach. I think there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of dangers. I, th I think two ditches that we can fall off into from any text um, are, are one, we can isolate a passage from the rest of scripture, okay? And the other one is we can explain the text away using the rest of scripture. Here's what I mean. Uh, in one ditch, it can seem to be, like this passage can seem to be saying that we are saved by what we do, right? On the face of it, it seems to say, if you care for the poor, if you care for the needy, then Jesus will accept you. If you reject the poor, reject the needy, Jesus will reject you. Okay, salvation by works. But that contradicts the rest of the gospel of Matthew. It contradicts the rest of scripture. Um, so, so we have to affirm, we have to not fall off into this ditch. We have to affirm that salvation, we are saved by God's gift of goodness through trusting Jesus Christ alone. It's the only way we get saved. We can't isolate this passage from the rest of Scripture and make it say something that contradicts the rest of Scripture. But the danger on the other side, and I think the one we're more in danger of, is to not let this passage say what it says. Okay, we can look at what it says, and you know maybe we've done this with other, even other uh, passages in this hard saying series. Uh, we can say, and if it may, especially if it's hard, if it's convicting, we can say. You know, I, but I know God's kind and he forgives us, so it's okay, I don't have to worry about it. Right? And to do that is to take one part of scripture and use it to blunt another part of scripture. We can't do that either. 
right? We have to, we have to honor the passage itself and what it says. Uh, the scripture is a, is a double-edged sword piercing us to the core, exposing us. The Holy Spirit inspired the whole word and he was not confused, right? Uh, he, he, the, the, the sword of the Spirit, let's, let's let him do his work with both edges of a sword. He is, the Spirit is a skilled surgeon and he will fix our hearts if we will let him. So we walk the middle road, I hope, by God's grace, honoring the context, honoring the biblical context, and honoring the passage uh, with fear and trembling. We'll follow a simple outline this morning. Uh, The first we'll see is who is the judge? Second, we'll see what is his criteria? And third, what should our response be? Who's the judge? What's his criteria? What should our response be? First, who's the judge? It's very popular to like Jesus. Um, even if you don't trust him, you know, he's, he's, think he's a good teacher, even if you're a Buddhist or a Muslim or just a secular person, you know, to think, oh yeah, Jesus, he's, he has good stuff. He's a good teacher. Um, but as C.S. Lewis famously said in Mere Christianity, uh, Jesus just himself doesn't give us that option, which is to say, you know, if that's you, you're like, I kind of like Jesus, but you know, I don't trust him. I, I just, I don't think you've really read him. I don't think you've really understood and encountered the real Jesus. Maybe you've heard stuff about him, but you haven't really encountered him as he reveals himself because he doesn't leave us the option to just like him. Okay, consider what he's like, just consider these verses. What is, what is he saying? Uh, in, in 31, he calls himself the son of man. That's one of his favorite uh, titles for himself. So he's talking about himself, right? He's saying, I'm the son of man, I will come. And he says, I'm gonna come in my glory. All right, so not, not lowly in a manger, helpless infant Jesus as he came the first time, um, not silent night, holy night, but in his glory, in radiant brightness, in splendor, all the angels with him, and he will sit on his glorious throne. There, there's no doubt who the king is, right, at, the, at this time. When this happens, there will be no doubt. Who's ruling here? Who's the king? Who has the authority? No, no, Jesus does. He is supreme. All the nations will be gathered before him. So that's every 8 billion people alive now in the world. Everyone will be there. Not only that, everyone who has ever been or who will ever be, right? Past, present, and future, all people. I don't know how many uh, people you can call to a meeting at your work. Like, I don't know how much authority you have that you can call and maybe 10 people, maybe you're the CEO, the whole company has to show up. If you can call a meeting and all humans who've ever lived and every angelic being has to be there, that's some authority right? He's supreme. And the king, he says, will separate them one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep and the goats. Uh, Goats and sheep would have been, this would have been a common uh, image for the, for his original audience. Goats and sheep, they graze together during the day, but apparently goats have less of a tolerance for cold. Didn't know that until I was studying. And uh, so the shepherd would have to go out and separate, okay, sheep, goat, different groups so that he could bed them differently. So they've all seen this happen, um, d- separating them out. And no- notice that Jesus isn't defending his authority to separate people. He's not giving us, you know, reasons why he should be the supreme judge of the universe. He's not saying, he's not defending himself at all. He's just saying, here's what it's going to be. I'm going to, I'm the king. I will judge, right? Um, it, there's no court of appeals on that day, notice. Like people can't go, let me get my lawyer. We're going to put a case together. You know, I don't think it's as bad as it looks. Uh, no, th- there's no court of appeals on that day. Just the king will separate them. So people who say, man, I love Jesus. He's just so tolerant. He just accepts people as they are. It's like, yes, but have you read this? You know, have you, have you, have you, do you know what Jesus said 
about himself? Of course, Jesus is full of mercy and love. Of course he is, but he is also the judge. And those things don't contradict. Notice also the stark nature of the groups. There's goats and there's sheep. There's not a third group, fourth group, a skeptics group. Um, There's the righteous and the unrighteous. And this shows us that ultimately only one distinction matters. We split people up in our society in so many ways, uh, but this shows us that in the end, only one distinction matters. It doesn't matter in the end if you are rich or poor, if you're black or white, if you're homeschooled or public schooled, if you're fit or overweight, if you're educated or uneducated, if you're American or Ugandan or Chinese or Filipino, it doesn't matter. All that matters is are you righteous or are you unrighteous? Are you a sheep or are you a goat? And many are on the fence. Yeah, I, don't, I don't know where I am with Jesus, especially in the Bible about you've heard of him. I don't, I don't know where I am with him. I like what somebody says, but it seems kind of extreme, some of it. Um, and I'll, I'll figure that out someday in the future, you might say. And if, if this is you, I just pray that you're here this morning to figure it out because you don't have unlimited time. Because the day is coming when the king will come in his glory and he will separate them out one from another, the sheep from the goats. And I know it's early in the message, but if you hear his voice today, don't harden your hearts. Today may be your day of salvation. Today, the king may be calling you and you may become a sheep today. And I pray that maybe this is the day that you finally surrender. You finally let go. You finally give it to him. And you trust him with your life. Jesus is the king and he alone will judge. Let's look at what he says. What's his criteria? He says to those on his right, verse 34, come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. So notice just this lavish kindness of God is the grace of God. This reminds us that Our right standing with God isn't because we're good. It's not based on our goodness. Our right standing with God is based on on the free gift of Christ's righteousness. Okay, we've been given a free gift. We're blessed by the Father, right? And, And just the lavishness of inherit the kingdom prepared for you. We get to rule and reign with Christ. Do we deserve that? No, he just gave it to us. It's amazing. But the judge doesn't stop there. Verse 35, For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, you took me in. I was naked, you clothed me. I was sick, you took care of me. I was in prison, you visited me. And the righteous are surprised. Do you see this? Both groups, surprised, stunned. When? When did we see you naked or sick or in prison? When were you hungry? And Jesus says, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. Okay, now there's basically two ways to interpret who these people are, the least of these brothers and sisters of mine. The first time Jesus says that, the least of these brothers and sisters of mine. Uh, the, the second time to the, the, uh, to the unrighteous, he says just the least. Okay, he doesn't say brothers and sisters in that one. Um, and, and there's two ways to interpret. Either Jesus means these, the least of these brothers and sisters of mine to, me, to be the needy of the whole human race, 
Or he means them to be a more kind of limited interpretation, needy Christians. Okay. Um, there, there's good evidence for both, kind of the broad interpretation and also the, the more narrow one. We know, for instance, that Jesus identifies with his church, especially, right? We know that he says to Paul, why are you persecuting me when Paul's persecuting the church? Matthew 10, 40, the one who welcomes you welcomes me. So he, he identifies with his disciples specifically. And we know that we're called to serve our brothers and sisters, certainly serve those of the household of faith. But we also know that God identifies with the poor in general, right? Proverbs seventeen ten says, kindness to the poor is alone to the Lord. He identifies with the poor and the needy in, in a general sense. And we know that we're not just called to serve our brothers and sisters, but also our neighbor, whoever that is, right? Uh, we're called to serve everyone, needy people, all needy people. Um, in fact, the, the commentators who go for the more narrow interpretation that's just needy Christians, they're, they're in large part quick to say right after that, they'll say, but we know, of course, that we're called to, to serve everyone uh, from the rest of scripture, okay? So uh, ultimately, I think that the safer interpretation is that this means not just Christians and needy Christians, but actually the needy and the least in the whole world, okay? All needy people. Notice how personal Jesus makes it. As you did it to one of the least, the one of the one, just one, who, the one of the ones who matters the least, who's the, the worst people, the one who doesn't have their stuff together, the one who is destitute, the one, as you did to one of them, you did it to me, the one sitting on the throne. Jesus says, that poor person you helped, that was me. That homeless guy under the bridge you gave that coat to, that was me. The one in prison that you visited, that was me. The refugee family you picked up at the airport, that was me. The leftover embryo that you adopted, that was me. The righteous provide sustenance, shelter, and care for those the world deems unfit, unclean, unworthy, and unimportant. The righteous provide sustenance, shelter, and care for those the world deems unfit, unclean, unworthy, and unimportant. Then those on the left, the goats, verse 41, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, you didn't take me in. I was naked, and you didn't clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you didn't care for me. And they say the same as the righteous. Lord, when? When did we see you? And it's so scary that they say, Lord. Because there are those in, in our churches who at the end will say, this harkens back to Matthew 7, Lord, Lord, right? Didn't we do all this in your name? He'll say, I never knew you. There are those in our churches who say, Lord, but do not know the Lord. They say, Lord, when? When did we see you hungry? We would have helped you. And Jesus says, I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do it for me. The poor person you intentionally averted your eyes from on the street corner, that was me. The prisoner you never visited, that was me. The sick person you stayed away from, 
instead of caring. That was me. The lonely old person in the nursing home, you were too old to visit, too busy to visit, sorry. That was me. The child you had a chance to help, but didn't. That was me. To ignore the hungry, the thirsty, the stranger, the naked, the sick, or the prisoner is to ignore the Son of God. To ignore the least is to ignore Jesus himself. In verse 46, and they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. What should our response be? How should we respond to this? As I think about this sermon being in, in the hard sayings of Jesus, I think you'll agree with me that it is a hard saying. Uh, and, and I think it's hard in two ways. I think the first one is just the teaching of eternal punishment. Uh, the, the doctrine of hell, is, it's, it's a difficult doctrine. It's another reason why people who like Jesus, I'm, he talks about hell a lot. Like, just read the Gospels. Um, he mentions it more than anyone. Uh, and, and, but, but, but people, especially in our culture and in our uh, time, have a lot of trouble with, with the doctrine of hell. And I think that, that is a good thing to, to note is that uh, traditional cultures and, and Eastern cultures and people from different times haven't had the same questions that we do. And it's not because we're the smartest people who've ever been, right? No, it, it tells us something about ourselves. And I hear people say, I can't believe in a God who would send people to hell. Right? And if you can't, if you don't resonate with that a little, I just don't know that you're really thinking about hell as, as the Bible teaches it. Um, because, man, no one likes it Oh, my goodness, I wish it was. I wish, you know, I don't, I don't wish hell was as it is. But people say that. People have said this to me. I can't believe in a God who would send people to hell. And I wish we could sit down across the table at Starbucks and talk about it. I think it would just be a much better um, context than this one. But maybe this will help. I, if, if we were sitting across the table at Starbucks, I would take a napkin and I would write, I would draw a circle on the napkin. And I would tell you that this circle represents everything that can be known, all possible knowledge. Okay, then I'd slide the napkin across to you uh, and give you the pin. And I would say, okay, now you draw another circle inside that one that shows how much you know compared to that. Right? What, what percentage of all possible knowledge do you know? And, you know, if you're honest, put a little dot maybe, or, you know, the tiniest little circle you could, we know, like we know everything. We don't know a lot, right? Compared to that. And, and I think, then I would say, I think that, you know, your, your statement, I can't believe in a God who would send people to hell forever. I think there's some hidden premises in there that, that you're believing. And I think, I think the, the, what you're thinking and the, the argument that's kind of implicit is, I can't think of a good reason why God would send people to hell forever. So there isn't a good reason. So I cannot believe in a God who would send people to hell. You see that? I can't think of a good reason because I can't think of a good reason, there isn't a good reason. And so I can't believe in a God who would send people to hell. And, and I would just want, want to challenge that a little and just say, okay, if, if God is all-knowing, if he knows the whole circle, is it possible that God could have a reason, a good reason for sending people to hell forever that you haven't thought of? Is it possible? And you look at your little dot and you think, okay, it's possible. It's possible maybe that God might have a reason that I don't know about or I haven't, he hasn't revealed to me yet, I haven't learned. 
Um, and, and yes, that doesn't get us to, to believing the full biblical doctrine, but I think that helps us move forward, right? With just a little bit of humility, a little bit of an open mind to go, okay, let's press in, let's study, let's pray, let's ask. Let's, let's not just write it off, but let's say, okay, what, what does the Bible teach on this? How, why is this something that God has designed? Another helpful thing um, that uh, is, is something that Dale Brunner in his commentary on Matthew points out very forcefully and, and he says this, we need to remember who is speaking. Remember who's telling us this, right? Jesus is telling us this. The judge himself is giving us this warning so that we would not be in the goats, right? He's telling us beforehand so that we will know. Like, like wouldn't, the, wouldn't the unloving thing be for him not to tell us? Like the, the evil doctor is the one who, uh, you know, does a, a brain scan, uh, finds the tumor and says, oh, everything's fine. There's no problems. Just go about your life. The good doctor is the one who, no matter how hard it is, no matter how much he doesn't want to say it, tells you the truth. Hey, here's the deal. Here's the situation. It doesn't look good. We have to operate immediately. Here's the treatment, right? No matter how hard it is for him, he, the good doctor tells you the truth. And Jesus is the good doctor. He tells us the truth. And I'm so thankful through this whole series that Jesus doesn't conform to our cultural nicety. He doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't care about our trigger warnings. He's telling us the truth and we need it. We need the truth. And this helps me. I, at, right after this, in chapter 26 of Matthew, uh, we, we enter the, the passion narrative, the, the recounting of Jesus' arrest and his, uh, his rigged trial and his state-sponsored execution. Um, and, and that he's about to go sacrifice himself for us. This is the last teaching that we have before Jesus goes to the cross in the Gospel of Matthew. And so if, if these hard words are from the one who's about to sacrifice himself for you, the one who's about to give his life and save you in the only way that you could possibly ever be saved. He's going to sacrifice himself so that you can have life. Shouldn't we trust him? Shouldn't we trust his words, even if they're hard, even if they're difficult, even if we don't understand fully? The second hard thing, uh, from that I think about with this passage is it's just the conviction that it brings. We, we've, we've already said, and it's no trouble um, to say it again, that helping the needy is not the good work that opens heaven's gates. Can't be. That's not how it works. You can't just, it's not like a checklist. Okay, I'm going to go f- find a needy person, uh, check, meet their needs, find a hungry person, give them some food. Find a f- no, that's, that's not a checklist to check off. Um, in, in many of these sermons on the hard sayings of Jesus, we've, we've reiterated over and over, salvation is by grace alone. It's a gift of God. But the grace that saves is never alone. Salvation is by grace alone, but the grace that saves is never alone. That's, I didn't make that up. It's Luther or someone. Um, it's, it's never alone, right? That to be a disciple of Jesus means to follow him. It means to be a learner. There are some musts. There's some ought to's. There's some you should do this, right? Just like forgiveness, like two weeks ago, forgiveness is a must for a disciple of Christ. We can't truly experience the forgiveness of God and then look at a brother and say, I will never forgive you. 
that shows we haven't truly experienced God's grace, his forgiveness. We, we have to forgive. We must forgive each other. And, and just as forgiveness is a must, helping the needy is a must. It's a fruit that necessarily comes from Christ growing in our lives. And maybe, maybe you look at this and, and you're convicted. Like me. What should we do? First, come to him and confess. Confess where we've been selfish. Aren't we so selfish? Aren't we just lazy? Like, why don't we care for people? Entitled? Like, why isn't Kairos Prison Ministry that we've been announcing, why aren't they overflowing with volunteers? Why aren't they turn, turning people away? Why, why aren't they saying, we need to start another weekend for the prisoners because there's so many of those Redeemer folks who want to come volunteer. Why is it hard to recruit people for those kind of things? Why can't we at the youth group put together a, a last minute river trip and take two vanfuls full of students? But when we plan a trip to the nursing home, weeks in advance, we just take a handful. Is that indicative of a pattern in our, in our hearts, in our lives? Where we are selfish, let's come to the Lord honestly. Don't run and hide. He, he will accept us. He will forgive us. We can come to him and confess. And as we confess, we should think about our own condition before the Lord rescued us. I, I, I don't think it's possible to truly love a needy person if deep down you think you're better than them. Like if at the bottom of your heart you think, yeah, when it comes down to it, I'm, I'm better than you. As the gospel changes our hearts and seeps deeper and deeper down into our hearts, I, I think what will happen is as we see a needy person, we'll not only see Jesus, who said, that's me, but I think we'll see ourselves. I think we'll see us. When we see a destitute person who's totally self-centered and ungrateful, instead of responding as we normally do, maybe we'll pause and we'll think, how much has God given me and how much do I continue to be self-centered and ungrateful? That's me. That destitute person. It's me. Maybe we'll, we'll think about a frozen embryo left over from in vitro fertilization. Um, so easily looked over and discarded. Just these people on ice. And maybe we'll think about how easily the king of the universe who made everything, who made billions and billions of people, how easily could he have looked over and forgotten us, and yet he didn't. He came to us and he gave us life. We have the chance to do the same. That's me. Maybe we'll see an unwed pregnant teen who's confused and unprepared and scared. And instead of responding in judgment, instead of responding in fear, Maybe we'll pause and we'll think, 
did I have it all together before the Lord rescued me? Was I confused? Was I scared? Was I unprepared? Was I in a bind of my own making that I I did not know what to do? Was that me? That's me. But what did Jesus do? He came and he took me by the hand and he led me to the place where I, I could live again. That's me. Maybe we'll see the man in prison who's ashamed and condemned for what he's done and we'll think, any, any shame or condemnation? Have I done wrong? Was I ashamed? Was I under the penalty of death? Yes. And what happened? He came and he took my shame and he died for me and he gave me life. See a child in foster care who's longing for a forever family. And we'll remember that there was a time we didn't have a family. We were without hope and without God in the world. And he came at great cost to himself and he adopted us and he brought us in and he gave us unconditional love and he gave us a place to live forever. (laughs) I'm the foster child. We are the foster child. So we help. We help as we see and as we can, and as our hearts are moved, not because we have to get God's love, but because we have it. It's pouring out on us abundantly, more than we can ever imagine. And that same love flows out to others, to the least, to the needy, to those who have nothing. And as we do, and as we do, we can count on God's help and on God's presence. Okay? I'm so encouraged by some in our church who, who model this for us so well and who, who do this so well. And, and I did ask her if I could use this, but Debbie Perkle um, is, uh, she's a sweet member of our church family and she has cancer uh, and has been, you know, been a part of the church for a really long time, longer than, than I've been here. Um, and she wrote a, a prayer request two weeks ago and put it in the offering basket. And it, by the way, if you do that, then that, we send that out to all the staff and elders. We pray for you. Um, And this was her prayer request. Uh, This was her prayer request. I'm just going to read it to you verbatim. As for me, I have chemo every Monday through either September 18th or 25th. I get one drug every week. Every third week, I get three. I will meet with my surgeon on September 26th. So it's coming Saturday. My biggest hope is that surgery can be... uh, Okay, sorry. Her biggest hope. Her biggest hope in her meeting with her surgeon. She has cancer. My biggest hope is that surgery can be delayed until mid-October. I'm supposed to attend a Kairos Outside event the first week in October so that I can be a mentor in future Kairos Outside events. And she explained, Kairos Outside is for the mothers and the wives of prisoners. So it's similar to the the prisoners program, but it's for the wives and the mothers. She said, they only have two outside events a year. If I miss this one, it will be March before I can attend the next one and October of next year before I can be a mentor. Debbie, I just want to encourage you, sister. In your cancer, your biggest desire is that you'll, you'll be able to put off surgery so that you can become a mentor of these women and don't have to wait six, four months. Like, that smells like a sheep, you know? And I mean that in the best way, Debbie. You smell like a sheep. Um, that, amazing, right? Wow, let's, let's follow our sister Debbie in that, in that kind of um, selflessness, that kind of love. And let's pray for Debbie, right? That, that meeting is coming up. Let's just, let's just postpone that surgery for her. Let's just have, you know, have it done. Um, 
Lastly, uh, I talked to, to Andy Lingenfelter, who also uh, does, does the Kairos, the prison ministry. Prison ministry isn't obviously all that Jesus is talking about. The least are everywhere. Aren't they everywhere? I didn't, actually didn't get as concrete as I, as I could because it, it's literally, where has God put you around the least? Like, what do you, who do you see? Um, but, but prison, it, it's one he actually mentions, right? You visited me in prison. So I think that gives some dignity to the prison ministry. Um, talking to Andy Lingenfelter about, about prison ministry, and here's what he said. I didn't get it until I started to spend time with people who had nothing. The reality of Christ in my life got 10 times deeper because of this. Because when you're sitting across from someone who's totally messed up their life and is looking for anything to hold on to, you realize, you know what? There isn't any difference between you and me. There isn't any difference. The reality of Christ is there. I can't tell you what it means to be able to reach out with real hope, he says. He says, he always tells him, if Jesus did it for me, he can do it for you. That's what we're talking about. <laughs> wow. Jesus has told us where he is. As you did it to the least, you did it to me. Don't we want the reality of Christ in our life? Don't we want more of him? We can't forget the least. As my mentor's words um, cut me deep and, and hurt me, but ultimately God used those to heal me. I hope that God will do the same with all of us by his word and through his spirit. Um, as the band and, the, and the, uh, those who serve the offering come up, um, let's pray together. Thank you for listening. To find out more information about our church, visit us at makingmuchofjesus.org.